welcome to Rainbow Soul, an explorative discussion about spirituality beyond mainstream religions. Hollis Taylor, author, psychic, astrologer, and alchemical mage, brings their non-binary perspective together with fellow drag king and trans man, LaCrosse Ortiz, a Jewish Taino with spiritual background of exploration that has led him to an atheist perspective. Join these guys as they explore deep and difficult topics, all related to spirituality, offering a queer perspective, an exploration of interesting topics, and engaging guests to help explore conversations for the rainbow soul. Hey. <laughs> I don't hear you. Oops, I was muted. <laughs> so you should be able to hear me now. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Rainbow Soul. I'm so glad you're here with us today. And I want to say that... I am so excited about this show and excited about being here today. And I want to just first start out with that. I'm Hollis Taylor. I'm an author. I'm a non-binary person. I'm also pretty spiritual. I'm into, I'm a witch. I'm an alchemical mage. I'm a psychic and an astrologer. So I, uh, I come from a lot of different perspectives and I would say that I'm also a pretty open-minded individual that likes to explore spirituality, especially from the non-binary perspective. And this is my buddy, LaCrosse. LaCrosse, <laughs> I, introduce yourself. I'm LaCrosse Ortiz. I am a Native American Jewish atheist. Um, I traveled through a lot of different religions and basically came to the conclusion that atheism is that's pretty much where I'm at but I do believe that you can be atheist and also spiritual so you can actually practice whatever it is you know whatever you take along the way and just adapt it into your life and apply it so that's pretty much where I kind of remove God out of the equation and just look at everything else so that's my point of view of where I'd be coming from well Um, I appreciate your perspective. I think that I think there's some people um, that don't explore any of it. And I'm glad that you've explored it and know where you are. And I think that's kind of like the most important part. And I think that's what this show is all about is us helping to enable people to explore different perspectives and different ways of doing things. Um, So I would say, you know, um, one of the interesting, actually, I just recently got reacquainted with a friend of mine, um, got a, got reacquainted with a friend of mine that also was at this event called Standing Rock. Um, Mm. And we were just talking about it this weekend. And the, the most powerful thing about Standing Rock is that it changed you. It changed Mm. everyone that attended. And I think even the people that witnessed it from afar, 
that were praying and sending their prayers and that's sending, um, sending things like that to the community. I think that, I think that all of those things were, um, were important part of standing rock. And I think that we're still integrating the lessons. Like, you know, when I first arrived there, I was, I knew I was doing a story for two spirit camp, but I ended up doing something completely different. That was my plan, but that's not what <laughs> happened. First, I had to learn, I had to learn from the indigenous tribes to be aware of my impact and how I was impacting the tribes people and to everybody that was there. And I had to learn, I had to learn some other things too. And energetically with all the prayers and stuff that were going around and my personal physical, um, <laughs> status at the minute that yeah. I was there created this really sensitive experience. And I actually ended up crying most of the time I was there. I pretty much cried for most of the weekend I was there. Um, I was there for um, forgiving, which is what the indigenous tribes call Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And I was there for forgiving and the weekend. And by the time I left, I had pretty much been crying for three or four days. And Oof. I really believe that experience, my own experience, was actually like ancestral healing, not just mm. my healing and the healing of the two spirits that came through. Um, and that's, you know, Standing Rock was like, changed the whole world it changed the way we did things and i know for sure it changed the tribes because mm. the tribes for the first time ever were all together on one piece of land mm. in cooperation in cooperation with each other for one thing and that was the land the right earth. And I think even you across even though you weren't there like you know how important it was to your tribe, to everybody. Cause definitely Taino tribe was there for sure. They were my neighbors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We show up everywhere. <laughs> um, like yeah. Cause I think that is the whole thing. The principle of, of a native perspective is the holy, the holiness of the land of the mother, you know, and fighting for the mother that we're fighting for the earth mother and, and the land is just probably the most precious thing to us. And yeah, it's, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. I totally agree. And I think, I think that it was the standing rock experience literally rocked my world. Uh, <laughs> I learned very, um, I learned very quickly that I just had to accept the impact of what was happening not only my impact, but other people's impact. And I will state from a first person person from being there, my actual experience was that I witnessed crop dusters spraying some unknown chemical on the entire standing rock mm. uh, protest, uh, all, especially in the morning. I actually had to pee and I heard an airplane above um, and wasn't sure what was going on. And I got out of the vehicle and I looked up and it was dawn 
It was like, you know, the sun was just starting to come up and an airplane dipped way down lower than it should ever be. Um, wow. And I'm familiar with crop dusting. I'm, I've lived in the farm country. I know what it looks like. And they weren't crop dusting plants. They were crop dusting us. Yeah. And uh, they were spraying something and the entire camp had a cough. Um, mm. And there was a lot, there was a lot of struggle in that, you know, sort of in that way, like people were actually sick bad things really did happen. The stuff you've seen maybe on Facebook groups or however mm. you witnessed it, that stuff really happened. Yeah. It yeah. really happened. Yes. We live here in America where you're supposed <clears throat> to be able to protest. Um, but no, those things really happened. Yeah. And so I think that's, I, I think just witnessing that and hearing someone say that really happened. Um, is, is, is kind of like saying we need to reassess our country. And now here we are, uh, five years later, um, and we are reassessing our country. We are rebuild rebuilding, hopefully. And I'm so grateful that the, uh, secretary of interior is an indigenous person. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think that the experience in itself was really powerful. And one of the people that I met um, was someone called Candy Brings Plenty. And she's a Lakota warrior. Um, they, she, they. Um, and they also started the Two-Spirit Nation, Two-Spirit Camp, um, which was everybody that was LGBTQ. Um, and, you know, we just, we did our best to, um, I, I think Candy did, did their best to make space for the Rainbow Tribe. And they have their own story. We'll be able to bring Candy on here in just a minute. Um, but, hey, lacrosse, um, I... I don't know if you know, like, if there's certain things that your tribe is fighting or having movement for um, in in their politics. Do you know? Uh, one thing is establishing our existence. That's been the biggest ongoing fight because, and getting it taken out of the history books because, literally, it's still being taught that we are extinct. And that is one of our biggest fights right now at the moment, not just our land or whatever thing that happened, just the fact of our basic is existence. Um, because, you know, if it, it, bottom line, because we were colonized so strongly within the Caribbean, and that's all the Caribbean was strongly colonized and integrated, <clears throat> they're, they're like, no, there are no natives, there are no Taino, there are no Arawak. And sadly, that's that's not true. So that's been our biggest fight at the moment. Because the truth is, is if if we here in Puerto Rico, even in Puerto Rico, if we get acknowledged, that means something has to be given to us as indigenous people. And I think bottom line, they don't want to give us anything. The, if they give us recognition and say, okay, you do exist, 
then you, you kind of there, there's some compensation that has to be done or dealt with there. And I think they just don't want to deal with that. So I, I think it's just right now, just getting our basic existence, people supporting and realizing, yes, we do exist. We're not, you know, we're not gone. We're not genocide. We're not, we're still here. We're just integrated a lot deeper than m- most of the tribes. And and another struggle yeah. has been just trying to gain our our culture back because a lot of it has been all we have are some books and trying to learn traditions that were handed down, but we don't really have a lot to go on. Like our language is lost. Trying to regain the language, it's just there's just so much work to do within the Taino community. Wow. Like, and that's the part that moves me, that kind of makes my belly move when you realize the entire culture that many indigenous tribes have lost their entire culture. And that's one of the things that I heard somebody say at Standing Rock. And I just was, I wanted to cry and I did cry all night long. (laughs) Um, I was like, how did the, how did white people just come and take that from them. And why do why do do white people do that? And I don't really identify uh, in that way, although my skin is very white. So I want to introduce one of one of my favorite people, most inspiring people that I ever witnessed do amazing work for indigenous tribes, especially up in uh, in the Dakota area, like up, you know, up in North and South Dakota, I've seen all kinds of work, amazing work by Candy Brings Plenty. Let's bring Candy out. Hi. Welcome, (laughs) Candy. Good afternoon. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you could make it and take this time out. Um, I just, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm going to do a traditional protocol introduction in my language. So I'm going to do that first and then I'll speak in English. So, candy brings funny. I would like to greet each and every one of you with a handshake from my heart. My name is Candy Brings Plenty, and I'm coming from this evening right now. Sorry. I'm coming from Ocheti Shakoli territory in the sacred Black Hills here in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, I am a enrolled member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe, and I identify as a queer indigenous non-binary two-spirit. I use the pronouns they, them. Um, she, her is still there, but I'm definitely utilizing they, them. Welcome. Fantastic. Great to know where you great to know where you are on the pronoun journey. Um, because I was like, wow, uh, I am not sure which one candy is uh preference to, but I'm comfortable <laughs> using they most of the time. So um candy, I first want to welcome you to can you tell us exactly what the two spirit because one of the things that I notice in white pagan culture and spiritual cultures 
especially where there's a lot of white people, is they like to call themselves a two-spirit. And I'm aware that that's probably not appropriate unless they were raised on a, um, on a, a reservation of some sort or are indigenous. So can you tell us about what that term means, where it comes from, and why we use it today? Yes, definitely. So, you know, to clarify, I know there's other folks and other two-spirit people and two-spirit societies who definitely use modified terminology. Um, so I'm going to try to cover it to the best of how I walk and represent it. So I definitely want to clarify that. Um, so two-spirit is an indigenous LGBTQ plus identifier. So, you know, I just want to hit it right off the bat. You know, a, a white person wouldn't call themselves Latinx, you know, and that's kind of the way you would think of Two-Spirit. So it's identifying indigenous people to Turtle Island. Some folks like to say, you know, only Native Americans can use Two-Spirit, or they like to say only tribal people, you know. And so for me, though, however, I have a worldview of Turtle Island being you know, our Northern relatives up in Canada, the territories of the United States and Mexico, because Turtle Island has no borders. Turtle Island is, you know, a one tribal nation. We are all indigenous to Turtle Island for those of us who have ancestral, you know, we, we inherited this ancestral sovereignty um, resilience. We inherited all of the intentions of being stewards of this land. And so, you know, folks who are not Indigenous and who cannot encapsulate that identity, you know, they are not appropriately utilizing, you know, they're, cult they're, they're culturally appropriating the term two-spirit. So, you know, I really don't like to say if you're if you're Native American, because you know that in itself, I don't even use the term Native American, right. because that is a colonized term, you know. And even using the word American Indian to me is so it, it's very oppressive, you know, because even the word America in itself is is named after Amer Amerigo Vespucci, a cis white male, and I am not going to carry any of that in my identity whatsoever. You know, so just using the term Native American for me is is very um, colonizing and oppressive because it's a it's a terminology that someone else identified my ancestors with and without consent said you are Native American, you know, and that is part of that colonization colonization history. And I definitely can um, trace back my ancestry, and you know, I know the story of my last name and of my ancestor, and I am a direct descendant from Crazy Horses Band. My great-great-grandfather was the whipman of Crazy Horses Band, and you know, his name was Brings Plenty Horses to his tribe. And whenever he was placed on prisoner of war camp number 334, which is Pine Ridge Reservation, you definitely can Google prisoner of war 334 because all of our reservations, all the Indian reservations are prisoner of war camps. That's why mm -hmm. they're called reservations. They were land that was reserved to place Native Americans on and they were not allowed to leave. And, you know, they were just the same as as Roman cattle if they left the reserve, the reservation that was deemed where Amer Native Americans were placed at that time. So 
you know, all of it has this terminology and it's like folks want to culturally appropriate two-spirit, but yet they didn't go through any of that ancestral oppression and yet they want to claim that, you know, and that's why a lot of times people will say it's only for folks who identify as Native American or they'll say tribal nations. But I like to say, and I, I continuously utilize the term indigenous to Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, okay. so I just wanted to say that component, but the term itself, okay, Two-Spirit is a umbrella term. It encompasses the spectrum of LGBTQAI+, you know, the whole alphabet soup in itself. And mm-hmm. every Two-Spirit has their own identity. Every Two-Spirit, you know, claims and walks and, you know, expresses what that looks like to them. And so it, it definitely um, is an umbrella term. And it was coined in the early 1990s by a group of now Two-Spirit elders. At that time, you know, they were definitely um, out and public about their queer identities. And even then they said the term queer was very derogative. And there's, you know, just to give a little bit of context, there's over 580 recognized, federally recognized tribes in the United States. So that does not cover Canada, that does not cover Mexico. So our relative from the North and the South is, you know, there's numerous tribal nations. So in the United States alone, that's 580 different tribes who have 580 different languages, 580 different traditional roles and cultural ceremonies and protocols. And, you know, there's every tribe has their own language. And so that's exponential amount of terms that sociologists, archeologists, you know, folks who are, were trying to document in the early 1990s, what and how to identify LGBTQ, Mm. you know, indigenous people. And so, you know, they were the one who actually prompted and, and pushed it and asked for, for Indigenous people to come together and identify themselves. So this group of elders in the early 1990s chose to collaborate and use the term Two-Spirit. And that was something they decided on. So our Two-Spirit elders chose this name and, and cultural identifier for us. And so as a Two-Spirit person, we're acknowledging that not all because some people use queer indigenous or indigiqueer, but the term two spirit is is honoring the sacred place within our traditional roles, within our tribal nations, within the aspect of our spiritual identities. And so we definitely have a component of saying by claiming two spirit, we are walking with that responsibility and we are representing that in an honored way. Now, I'm aware that different tribes have different traditions around queer people. Um, and I'm, I am used, I ha, I, I am used to using Lakota, but I'm sure your tribe has a better name. Uh, is that, is that true about your tribe? Is, is that the okay, tribe so, that you are? Well, Lakota is a language. It's a dialect. So when you say Lakota, that means you're a tribal nation from the West River 
the west side of the Missouri River. If you're Dakota, you're from East River. You're east of the Missouri River. If you're Nakota, you speak with the N dialect and you're from a northern Sioux tribal nation. So I'm Oglala Lakota Sioux. So Oglala is my tribe. I'm from the Oglala Sioux tribe. My language and dialect is Lakota. So I speak with the L dialect and I'm from the Sioux nation. So the Ocheti Shakoli is seven different tribal nations who are Lakota Dakota and Nakota, but we're the Sioux nation. Mm. Wow. Okay. Definitely. Great. Just, and I, that in itself, yeah. you know, that in itself is, is how complex, you know, even just, we have a word for, you know, the L, the G, the B, the T, the Q, everything in that alphabet soup, I like to call it, <laughs> you know, we have a word for that. So you times that by 580 and there's just so many different terminologies for, you know, a gay cis woman, you know, or, you know, just even the, the gender and the sexual orientation or even the expression or cultural role. There's so many different languages in our indigenous way of speaking and communicating that it does become complex. And so two-spirit is what umbrellas all of that. It even, you know, acknowledges that in our tribal, our various numerous tribal nations, that there is fluidity in gender and sexuality. And so all of that encompasses the term two-spirit. I want to say that there was a beautiful happening. I appreciate all of your beautiful explanation of things. And I always thought owning a vacation home was hard work from finding guests to just maintaining it. But with Vacasa, they put my vacation home to work for me, caring deeply for my home in every way. Best of all, since switching from my last property manager, Vacasa has been earning us over 20% more because it's not just a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 720-806-4896 or visit vacasa.com slash free. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earns you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. One of the things that I noticed was that, first of all, a lot of white people don't know all of these differences. We just, we're not taught it. Although I think there is an interest, especially amongst people that are a little bit more open-minded or spiritual because we're naturally drawn to the indigenous tribes because we're like, Hey, they actually honor the earth. Whoa. Like to us, that's like, that's magical. And I think that's kind of what drew so many white people, including lots of white people that came to standing rock to support because we do love the earth and we do honor. We want to learn more. We know that we've not been told the truth. We know we haven't been taught things correctly. And so a lot of us are searching for the truth. And that's sometimes hard to find. It's not easy to find. 
But you can, if you look hard enough, there's plenty of uh, news stations and stuff like that about indigenous tribes. So I wanted to offer you the moment to tell the story of Standing Rock and the Two-Spirit Tribe and how the Two-Spirit Tribe affected the Standing Rock movement. Okay, definitely. So um, we're not a tribe. <laughs> uh, we, Sorry. We're, I, I, I use the term Two-Spirit Nation, and I definitely will get to that. Um, and... You know, for me, the whole advocacy component and any of the work that I do and definitely the intention with the Two-Spirit Nation encampment and the Two-Spirit Nation, you know, all the work moving forward is based on an experience I had moving to Portland, Oregon. You know, I lived here in South Dakota. I lived on the Pine Ridge Reservation. I looked and I searched and, you know, the where the place where I found any type of identity to to myself um, was, you know, going to the bookstore and I waited every other month for Curve Magazine. Um, and for me, I felt like that was the only place in the way I found anything where I could, you know, see the type of community that never existed for me growing up, that, you know, was very rare um, even just to see articles about lesbians and seeing, you know, queer advertising and to just read, you know, and have my own magazine that identified with myself. And, um, <clears throat> I, you know, that was a big reason why I wanted to move to Portland, because I thought and I felt like, oh, my goodness, you know, there's a, a two-spirit society there, and I definitely want to move. There's a big queer community. But when I got there, you know, the, the two-spirit society was non um, it wasn't active. There was only like maybe two or three members. And, um, you know, I was like, but it, it was, you know, supposed to, you know, I, in my, in my vision, I had thought I was going to come find indigenous people, um, queer indigenous folks and a whole community. And I ended up building that community and I ended up, you know, learning more about Portland's community and just being more involved with the different you know, the, the, the sub communities within the queer communities. And I continued to um, realize, you know, even when I reached out and I visited other cities, how much space has been taken from indigenous people, even in queer communities, you know, even in our queer communities, two-spirit people have been erased, you know, and, and this is my, like, my statement and my quote that I continue to make, it's that two-spirit people have been here since before first contact. Two-spirit people have been documented ever since first contact. And, you know, pride did not be, you know, yes, pride began with a protest, but we were celebrating pride before colonizers even stepped onto our country, stepped onto Turtle Island. And so once I seen that, you know, I knew we had to take space. And I continued even when I was trying to write term papers or do presentations, there was a really small archived um, Google search. And it always showed the same few pictures. It was always Weewa and a few other black and white photos. And, you know, so I had said, this is the most historical gathering of nations and two-spirit people need to be seen and heard. Two-spirit people need to be recognized. And because my parents are 
survivors of the boarding school era. I myself am a product of boarding school era and all of that assimilation attempt, attempted genocide, the whole intent to kill the end and save the man, you know, that very much trickled down to my generation and my parents were stolen children. And, you know, I, I really do feel, you know, immensely how much historical trauma has impacted my family, you know, the indigenous communities everywhere I go. And so I felt being in Portland, Oregon, I seen how two-spirit people were completely erased and we had to take space, you know, and it was in 2016 when um, there was the first time I came and watched the pride parade because the years before that, me and my two children were always in the parade and we would wear our traditional regalia because on the same weekend as Portland's pride is the same weekend is Oregon's largest outdoor powwow in Portland. So we were able to be in our regalia all weekend and we would just go to the pride parade and then go back to the powwow. And so that year we decided to watch the parade because we never got to see what it looked like. And there was no representation of two-spirit people. And when I inquired about it, I learned that there wasn't enough funds for the two-spirit society to be in the parade. And when they got the funds, the registration was closed because they were at max capacity. And so, you know, I, I, I stepped forward and I took the leadership of the Portland Two-Spirit Society and I pursued the Pride Committee. And I had said, this upcoming Pride theme is diversity begins with you. But last year there was no diversity. You know, there, I, you know, I looked even for other communities of color, there was a very few. And I had said, so now you guys have to do the work and create space and open those doors. And, um, I, I took my time sharing and, and explaining from my worldview what it looks like to be a two-spirit arriving in Portland, Oregon and being so disappointed that at the Pride Parade, there was no representation of indigenous people when they were marching on indigenous land, literally, you know, they moved out the Multnomah tribal nation and built Portland right on top of this, this village that used to be there. And I had told them the exact Pride March route is where that that tribal nation used to reside. And so, you know, I had three asks and I had said, um, because we're marching on indigenous lands, the Two-Spirit Society should never have to pay to celebrate and to honor being proud of who we are. You know, and my second ask was that, you know, a, a teepee definitely is a beacon for indigenous people. When we see teepee, we know that's home and, and, you know, it's a safe space. And so I had asked if we could put a teepee up in the festival area every year. And my last ask was that we begin and lead the pride parade with an indigenous prayer, with an indigenous honoring and to allow um, two-spirit people to be seen and heard at the front. So ever since then, I've, I've been witnessing, you know, that, community change, that social change, that impact. So, you know, for me, it's like it was and continues to be a form of healing that historical trauma because a part of that boarding school era, a part of that assimilation was this terminology of kill the end and save the man. And you'll see a lot of very haunting 
photos of these children who were stolen and they're in like full regalia. You know, they came from their traditional homelands and then they cut their hair, they put on school uniforms and, you know, they're just, when you look into the eyes of those photos, they're, you know, their hearts broken and their spirits are broken. And so that was the intent was to try to save this man, but kill the Indian within. And so, you know, I, I've seen that and heard so much stories of how two spirit people were very honored. You know, we definitely held a sacred place. We were very revered and those words in itself, you know, we, we were sacred and it was because of, of religious abuse and persecution and trying to assimilate these young children and these teenagers, you know, they, they ripped apart all of their cultural identities, including the aspect of how sacred Two-Spirit people were, because, you know, it's not part of the church. It's not part of the Bible. It's not part of those teachings. It's the complete opposite of being sacred. So that was part of the attempt to eradicate Two-Spirit people and eradicate women leaders and women healers. And so that was part of that patriarchy and that misogyny. And so all the work that I do, I continue to try to reclaim space and to mend our sacred circles by, you know, reclaiming what that means to be a two-spirit and stepping back into our ceremonies. And for me, one of the biggest component of being at Standing Rock was being a movement within the movement. And so it was always an intention for me to make sure that two-spirit people were documented, that two-spirit people were archived and they were seen in all the spectrums of what two-spirit looks like. And so I knew for myself, if I'm gonna go to Standing Rock and I'm gonna take space as a two-spirit water protector, I needed to create that space for all the two-spirit water protectors, for all the LGBTQ allies, for all of the water protectors who identify within that spectrum and under that rainbow. And so that's, what I took with me, that experience from being at Portland. And I had went to the elders council and I had said, I have three asks, you know, and I definitely prepared myself before I went to step forward and ask to take space in a traditional way. I was at, um, here in South Dakota, I was at my mother's Sundance, one of our most sacred ceremonies when my niece had contacted me and she said she just got arrested. And this was before there was an Ochati Shakoli camp, before there was even a sacred stone camp, before there was any camps. And they were bringing the equipment to start the drilling, to start creating the drill pad, to just you know bring the, the pipes onto the land. And so my niece um, and a couple other people, they chained themselves to the, the cattle the cattle, I think it's called like a cattle guard or um, the fence. And so that was the very first of the arrests that very start that began for the first time. And so she went live and she um, had put out a call to action and she had said, auntie, two spirit people need to be here too. And she asked me to go out there and she had said, because one of the components I have that I know that really impacted my leadership is that I know my, my traditional protocol when it comes to ceremony, when it comes to um, kinship rules, when it comes to caring ceremony and, you know, just following those protocols. And that goes all the way back to my traditional lineage 
of the role that my great great grandfather held. You know, being a whip man is someone who is gifted this honor to continue to take care of the people, to take care of the Oyate so that they're following the rules so that we can function in a traditional way, so that we hold on to our ceremonies. And even, you know, being out on the battlefield, they're the ones who look over the warriors who are on the warpath, that they aren't, you know, being excessive in any of the you know, when they're hunting or when they were in the midst of a battle, you know, there's just this one whip man who literally has a horse tail, like a whip, and they make sure that people are following traditional law. So for me, I knew I had to show up in a traditional way. I had to respect my elders and I had to present with chinshasha, which is one of our most sacred um, medicines. And that's what we use in our prayer pipes. Um, a lot of people think it's tobacco. A lot of people think it's commercial tobacco. And that's not even, you know, indigenous to our tribal area here in the Northern Plains. You know, that's something that was grown on the East Coast and was definitely brought over from, you know, from the European co countries and continents. So even to this day that, you know, that is not um, cult the cultural protocol. So I went out into the Black Hills, I harvested um, chinchasha myself, I prepared it, and I gifted it when I went back to Standing Rock to the elders, I spoke in my Lakota language, and I asked for support. But you know, and I pointed out the fact that each and every one of those elders had a, a takoja, has a takoja, which means grandchild, who is either two spirit, or they have a, a relative or a friend who's two spirit. And in our culture, every single one of our families, every single one of our teoshpais has someone who's two-spirit. And so, you know, and I had said, we are here because we want to make an impact and we want to support the next generation. This is the way you support the next generation. This is how we mend our sacred circles. And this is how we make our families stronger. And so they, you know, they agreed. And one of, you know, so they asked me, what are your three asks? And so I had said, my first ask is that we get permission to put up a flag on flag row that's a rainbow flag, because that shows that we are represented here and that this is a safe space for us. And they agreed. And my next ask was that we get support from the elder council to have a long-term encampment so that we get seen and we're recognized as Ochati Shakoi, as one of the long-term permanent camps. And so they agreed about that too. And my third ask was that we were able to be greeted and invited into the sacred circle at the sacred fire and seen and being able to go in through the grand entry. So every time a tribal nation came, they walked down flag row, singing their traditional songs, wearing their regalia and representing their tribal nation. And so this is where I did have a little bit of pushback. And there was an elder gentleman who I, I very much felt, you know, he he wasn't supportive. It almost felt like, you know, he was very much giving off some homophobic vibes. Mm -hmm. And he just was irritated in everything I said. And he, you know, he did grumble around and he, you know, he had a cane and he, he hit his cane on the ground and he said, no, you know, he was upset. And he had said, these grand entries 
are very sacred and they're for tribal nations. What nation do you represent? So I said, the Two-Spirit Nation. And then the grandma next to him said, oh, huh. And so in, in our language, you hear people say, oh, ho, that's more of a masculine um, connotation. And that's something like, you know, the warriors would say, or when we're in prayer, that's how, you know, the grandpas would acknowledge. They say, oh, ho. And a lot of times the, the, the feminine opposite of that is, oh, huh. And that's something that the grandmas would say. And you just don't mess with the grandmas because we are a matriarch lineage. So when she said, oh, huh, he didn't say nothing else. And yeah. everyone agreed. And so we did get that march. We did get that grand march. We did get to come in. We were invited into the circle. We did give our offering to the sacred fire. And I was really happy that there was a, um, a drone from one of our um, comms folks from Ochakti Shakoni who did capture that. So, you know, I will share that link because it was really, at the time we were kind of confused because I wasn't sure if it was a DAPL drone or whose drone, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, I'm grateful that it did capture that moment because none of us had our phones with us or cameras. We were trying to be real um, intentional about knowing how sacred this gift was. And so I taught some of the people a Lakota song to sing you know, it was a thank you song and it was really amazing because we were finally, you know, it was healing within itself. And that was my intent was to be a movement within the movement to reclaim our space as two spirit people. And so by being invited to have this grand entry and by all the tribal nations who were there. So that was something that definitely was historical. And, you know, moving forward, we definitely continue to grow within the Two-Spirit Nation camp. And we took space and we started to have a system, you know, and, and people, different Two-Spirit leaders came from different areas across Turtle Island. Um, they contributed what their skill sets were. You know, some people stayed long term. Some people were only there for what they could you know, commit to. And some people were able to support us from home, you know, and we called them keyboard warriors. And there are people who were at home and shared for us. Because for myself, I didn't go live very much at all when I was at Standing Rock, because I didn't have my phone a lot of times. And my intent wasn't there to, you know, hold my phone and take selfies. I was there to take space and, and, walk with my culture and my tradition and to lead by example on what two-spirit looks like to me and how I represent myself as a two-spirit and to create space for other two-spirit people to do the same. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, it was powerful for me to arrive at Standing Rock and be like, wow, well, I guess I belong there. Like it was easy for me to feel like I belonged there. Um, and that, that was special, right? And I was a reporter. I was just trying to bring the story to the people, to show them what was really happening. Cause I felt like the story wasn't being told because exactly. the news wasn't, the news wasn't being told. And so I, I also want to say that because I know you're a mob and I know that your uh, kids and your family are there with you. I want to just take another 10 minutes or so. And I'm hoping 
Now the modern movement, now we have gotten some progress with some of the pipelines, but I know some of the other, some pipelines are not so progressive. Some we've made some progress. We've taken steps back and taken steps forward, but there's also some other movements going on with indigenous. Um, and one of the things that I noticed that you've been talking about is that there are women, indigenous women, going missing and being murdered. And I, I want to give you a platform and a space to talk about that. Do you have, do we have any idea what's happening to them? Okay. So <clears throat> that is some of the work I definitely have been doing this past legislative session. Um, I'm an indigenous justice organizer and lobbyist for the ACLU South Dakota. And so I do a lot of the indigenous justice issues along with the LGBTQ and two-spirit bills that happen. And this year was the first time we were able to advocate for a missing and murdered indigenous people's bill. So a lot of times across the nation, you hear MMIW and that's missing and murdered indigenous women. And, you know, there's just so much data. There's just so many open cases and there's so many cases that have never been reported. And especially with the, the complication of jurisdiction. So a lot of tribes, there's a humongous gap in communication or, you know, just even political action because of tribal jurisdiction, state jurisdiction, and federal jurisdiction. You know, they're all very much different components. And so a lot of times, you know, and I'm speaking about South Dakota right now, I have witnessed how when it comes to tribal issues, it's silent. It's completely silent and there is no um, support from any of the surrounding communities or districts or cities. And my tribe is 80 miles from Rapid City. So I live in the city right now. I just moved from the reservation to Rapid City after moving back from Portland. So, you know, I went from Portland to the Pine Ridge Reservation and that was a humongous, you know, end of the spectrum opposites. And with my job, I definitely have been doing a lot of policy work and community work so that I am now working with the entire West River component of South Dakota and being that point of contact. And there is just so many open cases, especially on the West River, because I feel like, you know, we, we did a lot of research and the Interstate 90, I-90, goes through Rapid City. And we have some truck stops where there's a lot of um, uh, human trafficking that happens. And a lot of times, and it's like over 70% are Indigenous women. And there's a lot of Indigenous women and Indigenous men and two spirits who are missing or murdered. And there's no answers to those open cases. And a lot of times there's not even any search parties. There isn't you know, they're just closed cases. And here in Rapid City, we also have um, Rapid Creek and that's what the city's named after. There's this small little creek that goes through the middle of our city and there's always houseless indigenous people found in the, in the creek. And, you know, there's just no background to what had happened or even answers for the families. And so, you know, that's part of why I advocate for missing and murdered Indigenous relatives, because it's inclusive. 
and I get to, you know, because I pushed really hard for folks to include two-spirit people. And even when I worked on doing missing and murdered Indigenous women policies and activism, I would use an X in the women, you know, but even in that, a lot of people were having pushbacks. So I decided to go with missing and murdered Indigenous people. So to continue to include those missing relatives across the gender spectrum. Yeah, and I I felt uh, just really like, wow, what is going on here? Like, I just didn't even know about it. And I, I totally appreciate your live broadcasts. Um, I know it's not always you holding the camera. Someone else is holding the camera <laughs> and you're doing some amazing work, um, you know, like asking for your land back and things like that, like ex um, especially uh, Mount Rushmore area, because um, that's that's absolutely in case people didn't know about that land. Can you talk a little bit about that land up there where Mount Rushmore is? Where? Yes. So that's the black guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The so, you know, <laughs> across the country, there are statues coming down, you know, and there is this, this over, overwhelming um, acknowledgement of white supremacy, of uh, white privilege. But here in South Dakota, you know, the Black Hills, we never sold it. We never sold the land. Our relatives were intentional about not selling the Black Hills because it's so sacred. And there very much is so many caverns and there's so many caves and there's just so much ceremony. And our creation story of the Lakota people, you know, we came from the Black Hills and we still have our ceremonies and hold annual ceremonies throughout the year, throughout whether it's any of the equinoxes or the solstice, but we follow the Wachakabi Oyakte, which is the star nation. So, you know, our calendar is, is you know, the star nation. And so we know when to move our camps. We know what ceremonies to celebrate. And so that's how we continue to be, you know, it's not just the land. It's not just Inchimakai. It's not just Mother Earth. You know, we definitely are connected to all of the aspects of life. You know, and that's why people would say Mini Wachoni, because the Mini Wachoni means water is life and it's our relatives. You know, the star nation, the sun, the sky, the earth, the moon, everything is part of our way of life. You know, it is our way of life. It is who we are. And so we don't see ourselves as the center of the universe. We don't see ourselves as, you know, um, dominators or colonizers of, of anything because you know, this is our walk of life, our relatives. So when it comes to the Black Hills, we definitely knew, you know, our ancestors knew we, you know, we don't sell our land, especially when it comes to ceremony. So it was literally stolen from us. It was just taken from us. Since we, our ancestors didn't sell it, they continued to, to mine for gold. And so it was definitely the gold rush that came and there was gold, there is gold in the Black Hills, but it's just another mineral, another relative of ours. And <clears throat> to have had people buy land that was never sold and decided to take a very sacred space and make a monument to, to the slave owners and, you know, misogynist and and just horrible representation of what it looks like 
to have. I always thought owning a vacation home was hard work, from finding guests to just maintaining it. But with Vacasa, they put my vacation home to work for me, caring deeply for my home in every way. Best of all, since switching from my last property manager, Vacasa has been earning us over twenty percent more. Because it's not just a vacation home; it's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call seven two zero eight zero six four eight nine six or visit vacasa dot com slash free. UCLA Extension's bold new initiative, UCLA X Online, is being launched with a mission to reimagine online learning through an immersive and interactive learning experience for today's global professionals that is designed with the student at its center. This winter, UCLA Extension will offer eleven. Fully online certificates that can be taken from anywhere in the world. Learn more at uclaextension.edu/uclaxonline. Something so sacred taken from us, you know, and it's it's just a symbol of white supremacy. And so Mount Rushmore in itself is like the most biggest, most hugest, most symbolic monument of what that is. And you know, and, and even just to be on literal, this is absolute stolen land. I just can't even convey that. So to know that number forty-five was coming to our sacred Black Hills was such, and you know, an an ascending, um, you know, just electric shock to my heart. <laughs> and so many people felt that sting. So many people, you know, we just knew without without even speaking to each other, this is where we have to be, and we have to show up, and we have to take space, and you know, we need for the rest of The country to wake up and acknowledge what Fourth of July is and what it means, and that you know they're celebrating colonization. They're you know continuing to celebrate that this land that they're walking on was you know built on stolen land by stolen people, and so all of that was just something I felt had to happen and needs to continue to happen until Mount Rushmore comes down or until they return it to the hands of. You know, our my tribal nations who have always continued to take care of the Black Hills. Yes, I um, stand in full support of that. And for some part of me, my whole soul has questioned uh, the colonization my whole life. Um, even when I was in school, I was kind of like, "Wait, what did we do? I don't know about that." And you know, it it made me concerned,、um, and that's probably one of the reasons I'm called to the movement now. And I want to just tell you that there's a whole bunch of people in the chat that are saying things like, "Okay, now some of these people I know for sure are part of、uh, what would be considered the white pagan community, but most of us are on the right side. We want we want to.、Um, they love you. So I just want to say." That there are people out there that are thinking that they love this interview, they love that you're here. So I just wanted to share that with you. That there's these comments in here, and and people are just impressed with your knowledge. And I'm so glad that you're bringing this to the light. You're bringing it to the light. You're making people aware because that in itself is priceless, in my opinion.、Um, because the more people you get on your side. On to understand what's happening to the indigenous, to the all the indigenous tribes, the better off we'll all be. And、yes. I think that we can help. Maybe we can even begin to heal the historical trauma. And so that's one thing I want you to 
just as we, before we take a break, if there's anything that you can think of that people like me and other white people that are like, man, what did we do? We're screwed up. We got to find a way to fix this or make this better. How can they support indigenous tribes? How can, how can they support your movements and things like that? How can they help? How can they change things? Okay, well, there's two things I want to talk about. So I definitely want to go back to missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. And then I'm going to talk about that next. So um, the component of why I did so much work recently and I really dove into that movement is because, you know, it's it's about the extraction of resources from Mother Earth, from Inshimaka. And anytime Mother Earth is is being violated, no matter where you're at, on the earth, where you're at in the United States, anywhere that you're at where resources are being extracted, women are also being impacted. The, the matriarchs of those communities are also impacted because there's also this mentality that's connected with, with extracting resources, especially within the oil component. And so when it comes to these pipelines, there are man camps. So in every pipeline, anywhere there's pipelines that are happening, there are these man camps where, you know, they're housing a large number um, of these oil workers who definitely are devastating that community, that area, that land base, and not just the land, but what the resources are for the community, you know, whether it, it, it's just like an invasive species. It's just like how um, blackberry bushes took over my backyard, you know, and, and I loved it. But at the same time, I was just like, okay, now I understand why some people don't respect these blackberries. You know, there's, they're, it's the same thing, you know, whether it's communities that are a lot of times are small communities, they're rural communities. And so a large mass amount of oil workers come into their communities and they want to drink. They want, you know, they want their alcohol, they want their drugs and they want women. And all of that comes at a price when lives are taken and that's where women go missing and murdered. And a lot of times it's indigenous women because these pipelines have been continuously built near tribal reservations. Yeah. And a lot of times it's, it's the indigenous women who pay the price for these pipelines. And so that's why within any of these water protector, land offender, um, protectors of the sacred, it's the women who are always taking this impact. And, you know, and I don't want to just say women because there's two spirits and a lot of time, you know, even within these, at, you know, at the bars, at, at any type of um, gatherings, you know, there's confrontations and it's just this whole negative, um, really horrendous impact that pipelines bring when they have these man camps. And, you know, that's why I, it was, it really impacted me with the Keystone pipeline. And so that's the pipeline work and fight that I have been on since I moved back to South Dakota these past two years. Um, <clears throat> the Keystone Pipeline is like an hour and a half away from where I live right now, but it's right, like right along the river where my niece lives and my sister lives. They're on the Eagle Butte Reservation. And that man camp is built like 10 minutes away from where my niece lives. 
and she works for one of the tribal high schools. And so, you know, she's a single parent mom herself. And for me, I just can't even imagine how many vulnerable young women are going to be impacted and have been impacted. And so that's why we pushed so hard for the Biden administration to shut down the Keystone Pipeline because that pipeline has been in the making for 10 years. This was the pipeline before the Dakota Access Pipeline. This was the original pipeline that, you know, woke up this community of water protectors who then passed it down to the youth and pushed folks like myself to step forward. And so it was 10 years in the making when the, the Biden administration shut it down. But our governor, Governor Nome is continuously fighting against it and, and even has had 19 other governors sign on to sue the Biden administration to keep the Keystone Pipeline. So even though, you know, folks say um, KXL is dead, a lot of us here continue to call it a zombie pipeline because it's not gone. And that man camp is still built and that um, pump station is still pumping and it's fully built in the ground. And so for us, you know, just like the Dakota Access Pipeline, it's not done. It's not over until those pipes are out of the ground. Till those man camps are disassembled. So, you know, that's why wow. this work is so, you know, passionate to me. Yeah, and I can see that. And uh, I, I am constantly, like, my heart is just going out to you all the time. Like, I'm like, wow, Candy is doing it again. And I can't believe these man camps. What are they? And I can imagine what they look like. You know, I have lived in a van for five years and I've been up against these places. I've definitely spent some time in the Dakotas and, and they're even down here in Colorado and they're anywhere, anywhere there's oil really. Um, and, and, and I can, they're I feel the vibration of them. I'm like, yeah, let's just stay away from them. Um, and it's unfortunate. I can imagine that that's where it's coming from. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is because this right here, this is my friend, um, that they are actually, Terry is actually finding this as a very enlightening conversation because I don't think people know what's going on. They don't know. And unless they're on your friend list, Candy, they're not going to see these things. They're not going to be aware of it. Or if they don't read um, indigenous news, I have to go out of my way to get indigenous news. I have to. That's the only way I can know. So I'm just saying that not all of the news is being brought to you. Um, you know, people, people, not all of the, so to the, you people out there watching and, and witnessing this show later on being in the replay, be aware that you are not receiving all of the information. You are not getting it. And so if you check in, um, <clears throat> if you check in, you, you might find, you might find that there's some more information, especially if you check in with Candy's <laughs> page or the ACLU um, in the Dakotas. Um, I, I check in. Um, this is uh, Ted, the organizer of WLFEDB, which is our network. Um, so I want to say, Candy, do you have anything else you want to bring? Anything else you want to tell the community before we take a break? 
and yes. you go back so, with your family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I definitely can keep talking. I just told my, you know, my family's still cooking, so we're good. But, um, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so, you know, I go back to share the story about, um, Jane Fonda when she came to the Two Spirit Nation camp and, you know, she was getting ready to leave. She had spent 10 days, um, at Ochati Shakoi and it was like the day before she was going to leave. And it was actually on Thanksgiving day and we were doing a, a ceremony. We were doing a painting ceremony because the youth council, um, it was composed of over over half of their youth council was two spirit and you know they definitely looked up to our camp and they they honored me and asked me if i would lead the action that day um at at the turtle island there um and you know i was really really honored that they came to me and and gifted me us you know that honored space so we were we were using traditional wasay paint and in our culture you know, that was war paint. And so at the moment, you know, we, we were singing and we had this prayer ceremony and in walks Jane Fonda right in the middle. And she literally said, hi, I'm Jane Fonda and I'm here. I've arrived, you know, and we, everyone was just like so grossly offended. No one said anything. And she just knew it. She was like, okay, what did I do? What did I step in? You know, and she was like, um, am I offending anyone? You know, and so everyone was quiet and they looked at me and I said, um, you know, you must not have gone to the orientation. <laughs> and she was like, orientation, but there literally was an orientation. And that orientation even came from our camp because we, you know, we had white allies who would orient other white allies on how to be at the Two-Spirit Nation camp. And then people really liked that and, and they wanted that to be a part of the main camp. And I was a co-facilitator for the, for the daily camp leader circle. And so we ended up creating that into, uh, you know, every new camper who was there at least, you know, within their first three days had to go through the orientation. And there was even, you know, a more evolved second orientation for folks who wanted to learn more. But, you know, we wanted to teach folks you know, what was appropriate and what wasn't appropriate. And one of the biggest things was, you know, if you see folks gathered together, especially if they're in a circle, you know, observe and, you know, just watch because you don't know what you're stepping into and, and we're there in this sacred space. And so, you know, it was, it was just required to understand that they were, you were, folks were there as visitors and people were there doing the work. And so I had told her, you know, just this once, I, I'm going to expend my emotional labor as long as I get to educate you and you carry that forward and continue educating other folks. You know, and she's like, I'm ready, you know, teach me. <laughs> and so I had told her. I always thought owning a vacation home was hard work, from finding guests to just maintaining it. But with Vacasa, they put my vacation home to work for me, caring deeply for my home in every way. Best of all, since switching from my last property manager, Vacasa has been earning us over 20% more. Because it's not just a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. 
Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 720-806-4896 or visit vacasa.com slash free. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. Because <clears throat> she had, no, first she had said uh, she was there and she wanted to invite us, the Two-Spirit Nation camp, to her Thanksgiving dinner. And she had said, I brought all, you know, and she named them off. She brought all these chefs and she brought all of these turkeys and she reserved a bus specifically for the Two-Spirit Nation camp because she was a strong two or LGBTQ ally. And she said, I, I want you to know I reserved a bus for you so you guys can take a bus to the Standing Rock High School and we'll have a table for you. You know, and everyone was just shocked. And that's when I had told her that I would, I was willing to expend my emotional labor because I had told her, we are fasting this is not a day for us to celebrate. This is a day of death for us. This is a day of rape for us. This is a day that your ancestors raped and pillaged and killed our ancestors. And you want us to sit down and honor and celebrate your ancestors for doing that? I was like, that's why we call it things taking. You took everything possible from us. You know, and in this moment, you're taking my emotional labor and you've interrupted our sacred painting ceremony. And she was very quiet. And she was like, well, I'm sorry. How can I how can I correct this? What can I do? You know, and I had told her, um, well, you, you I was like, you definitely I said, we're fasting and we're not going to eat until sundown because we're also going on to the front lines and we don't know who's coming back. People end up getting arrested. People end up in the hospital. People end up injured and we get separated. I said, and, and we, everyone here has a role. There's people who stay behind to cook. There's people who stay behind and pray. There's people who take extra daily tasks because we all have daily tasks in this camp. I said, and there's people who are waiting for us to return because well, we might be, you know, covered in mace. We need help changing before we can come back into this circle with our other campers. You know, there's so many components to this. But if you want to help, you can bring your food to us and you can serve us. I said, you, not your assistant, not your helpers, not your chefs. And she said, I can do that. When should I be back? And, you know, I told her at sundown. <clears throat> and she said, okay, but before I go, can you help me with one really big thing? Cause I'm learning a lot from you right now. And I've been here for 10 days and I still have a big question. And I said, okay, what is it? And she said, can you teach me and help me to learn how to be a good ally? And I said, okay, well, first of all, you have to acknowledge that all of your success and all of your privilege was built on the shoulders of my ancestors. And in order to be a good ally, you need to allow an indigenous leader to stand on the shoulders of your privilege and your success so that they can be seen and they can be heard. And so from there and forward, you know, I watched her blossom ever since then, you know, even, you know, elevating and walking and holding <clears throat> hands with, you know, Patrice Colors and Black Lives Matters and just continuing doing even her 
Friday fire drills, you know, and all the different things she's been doing. But in that moment, she had said she was so honored and she was going to come back that evening. And she did. But I was so exhausted. It was a long day. Um, Sang my heart out that day. We were out there for like six hours. And when I got back, I just wanted to go sleep. And I did. And she came and, and she fed everyone. And she did exactly what we had asked of her. And I just told her I was too exhausted. I couldn't eat. I wanted to go straight to sleep. And she said, I'll come back in the morning. And when she came back in the morning, she had said um, she was very impressed by my leadership. And she wanted to know how she could support my leadership and how she could use her privilege. And so I told her, you know, I'm fundraising every week um, and we're just trying to maintain so we can be a self-sufficient camp. And I had told her, I grew up in South Dakota. I know what the winners are like. And I've been paying $500 every week for this truck so we can have a four-wheel drive truck for the Two-Spirit Nation. And I said, and when we're out on the front lines, the ambulance won't come to the camp. We have to transport and triage our own wounded here at the Healer Medics camp. And they moved their camp to be right next to the Two-Spirit Nation camp because we also cooked and fed all the doctors. A lot of them were vegetarian and vegan, and our camp always had a vegetarian option with every meal. <laughs> and we made excess because we knew we were going to be cooking for the for the medics and for the, you know, the body workers and for all the folks who were about giving their time. And so, um, you know, and I had told her, we're fundraising, we're, you know, holding down the grounds, being the foot soldiers on the ground. We're also holding ceremonies and healing um, two-spirit people and LGBTQ people so they can have a safe space and so they can also leave their trauma here. I said, we're doing different things all day long and I really would love not to have to be fundraising for this truck. Um, and she did. She ended up buying us a truck and I had told her, we also need a hotel room because there was just the one hotel, the Standing Rock Tribal Casino. And I had said, I've been here since September and this was Thanksgiving Day. And I said, for the past, you know, two and a half months, I have been on the wait list for a hotel room. I started out as number 44 and I'm number 27 on the wait list. And we have trans folks, we have, you know, gender queer folks, we have non-binary folks who are not safe in the very binary high school showers. You know, there's, it's still that locker room trauma. And there's people who don't have safe spaces to shower or, you know, to take care of themselves. And I need a hotel room for them. And so she said, you got it. I'm, I haven't checked out of my room. I will put your name on the room and I'll pay for the next two months. And she did. So, you know, she definitely was a really strong ally to do those, those two things for us. But, you know, even just that story and even just that lesson, you know, I'm really grateful to see how that moved forward and how it continues to highlight the work she's doing today. That's powerful. That you know, it's funny because I came to Two Spirit Camp to interview you and you were with Jane Fonda. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I guess they're having a really important conversation. My conversation can wait. Wow. Okay. Well, that's okay. And I talked to somebody else out in camp, which was fine. Um, you know, <laughs> but it was definitely... Um, it's a, it's a powerful, you know, Standing Rock in itself, there was a group of us talking about it just this past Sunday, and it's sort of a private group. 
But um, but we were talking about how powerful it was, how it changed us. And I'm not, I don't know if you had the same experience, but this is uh, Bright Hawk, and you know, she's saying that standing rock orientation was profound, and I agree. It changed my perspective, my life, and I'm still integrating messages from Standing Rock to this day. What, six years later, right? I mean, mm-hmm. or five years or what, however long it's been, we're still integrating what we learned just by being there. Like, I don't even know if it affected you quite the, in the same powerful way but I know for me it did. And so anyway, I, I have to take a, a little commercial break. I have to play the little commercial. Yes. Um, so let's just take, let's take a moment to play the commercial and we'll come right back. And if Candy can stay a little bit, we can talk about the way it changed things for us. Here yes. we go. All right, great. <laughs> my computer's <laughs> acting a little funny. Sorry about that. My computer's having one of those. Uh, it's actually Mercury in retrograde, um, so <laughs> it's beginning its uh, it's beginning its protest against being used so much, right? So, um, so I just want to come back to the one thing that that conversation that we all had that a few of us that had been to Standing Rock what we experienced and how it changed us. Like one of the big things that I walked away with was know your impact, know the way you're impacting other people around you and uh, coming to the understanding and the awareness that indigenous people didn't have access to uh, medicine and things like that on the res. Um, Ted was just talking about this in the chat. Um, that you know that the average person doesn't understand what's happening on having any given day on the res. And I totally agree. Or the everyday life of an indigenous person. Um, it sounds like his mother uh, became saddened every day. Um, and I. I didn't know. I had no idea, even though I was a person that considered myself um, in support of the indigenous people. I didn't know how bad it really was. And that orientation, and then also watching an indigenous person struggle to stand up and say their prayer publicly at the orientation. I mean, I wanted to cry for him, you know, and I, it changed the way I seen things. It made me more aware that of my white privilege before it was cool to know your white privilege. (laughs) And I just think standing rock was like, it, 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 it was like a, it was like a mind blow. Like it blew my mind and I changed me forever. Uh, and I, I don't know if it had that same impact on you, Candy, maybe in a different way. Well, definitely, you know, it, it had an impact for me in a way where I've seen how obedient I had become. You know, even just living in Portland and realizing that 
I allowed myself and my two children to, you know, walk down the grocery store and have people, you know, white people walk around us in a way where like, <clears throat> we didn't exist. You know, they would say, excuse me to each other. But <clears throat> I, you know, I was, I realized in everything I did, you know, after, I feel like there's pre-standing rock, standing rock and post-standing rock, you know, the versions of me and even just the perspective I have, you know, that's what I had said my worldview because I see even today, even moving back to Rapid City, to this, this is a town that I grew up in, you know, I learned how, you know, my mother is, you know, so obedient. And I, and when I do public speaking to my own tribal folks, my own indigenous communities, you know, I tell them we're obedient as fuck, you know, take a look around, you know, this is our land, literally where the black hills is still our land, you know, and wherever it is, you know, there's folks who don't realize how their families became wealthy, you know, even their grandparents, or even if it was just land that was passed down to them. And I had coworkers that I, you know, for me, EDI work, ex, you know, um, equity, diversity, inclusion work for me is always based on, you know, the ownership of your privilege, you know, and, and all the things we do, you need to take a priv privilege check, you know, even just in your own scope of work, there's an indigenous person who could definitely stand on your shoulders to be seen and heard, you know, just like this stream that's happening right now, you know, definitely to... I always thought owning a vacation home was hard work, from finding guests to just maintaining it. But with Vacasa, they put my vacation home to work for me, caring deeply for my home in every way. Best of all, since switching from my last property manager, Vacasa has been earning us over 20% more. Because it's not just a vacation home, it's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 720-806-4896 or visit vacasa.com slash free. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. Ask yourself, how many Indigenous friends do I really have? Who, you know, who do I text with or talk to? How big is my circle beyond my white privilege or my white comfort? You know, and how hard do my white tears create change for me and not for Indigenous people? You know, and to continue to acknowledge that Am I, you know, I, I say I'm woke, but am I woke to what impacts the community I take space in? You know, so for me, it, it went in an opposite direction where I had extreme PTSD. Like that first year, you know, and I still have PTSD. It, just, it very much lives on the surface of my skin in everything that I do, but I've learned how to heal myself and how to utilize my traditional ways and spiritual practices and to be more authentic in the work that I do. And I feel like that has empowered me to continue to step in the front and do what I do because there are so many people who are scared still, who haven't, who didn't go to Standing Rock and who are still in this space of fear. You know, they fear, they have this 
this oppressive mindset that, you know, and I see it and it, it really has an impact on the way I navigate in my work now, because I see folks who, who have the ability to create change, who are in positions of power, who have authority, but they don't know how to use it, you know, and even, you know, an example was this past week, um, I pushed our mayor in Rapid City to um, sign a proclamation to acknowledge that that May 5th is National Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Day. And, you know, and I, I wrote this proclamation. And for me, the, the big component was the last paragraph where he stayed, you know, I wrote it and he, you know, went back and forth. The only paragraph they didn't alter was the main paragraph I wanted. So I was grateful for that. And it, you know, it said, um, I hereby mayor of Rapid City encourage, strongly encourage businesses, organizations and educational institutions to acknowledge, honor, and do the education to learn about missing and murdered indigenous women and to empower the community. You know, so for me, that's what I wanted this policy for. I do a lot of political work and I have learned, you know, that is how the opposite end, you know, the the, the opposition, they work and they navigate with policies and ordinances. And that's how they create, you know, these ironclad oppressive movements for themselves to gain and retain their positions of power. So for me, I felt like, you know, I, I am continuing to educate. I'm continuing to create more um, <clears throat> Indigenous leaders within the tribal settings, within rural areas, and within our Indigenous urban areas, so that folks know how to utilize their, their civil rights and how to, you know, empower their civil liberties and how to use that constitution in the activism work that they're doing. How to, you know, hold our militarized officers accountable for the brutality and for, you know, violating our civil rights. So that's something that I have been doing and I've been calling that work um, evolving the front lines. So, you know, we've gone from being on the ground, being frontline water protectors to standing in front of a legislative body and testifying and, you know, pushing indigenous bills that create change on a state level, a district level, you know, within municipals and rural cities and urban cities, but just to continue being seen and heard and walking in both worlds. So for me, you know, it impacted me in a way where I even would chew my children from Portland Public School and I homeschooled them that whole first year we were home because I knew that I was profoundly impacted by the trauma I went through. And, you know, I was beat down in so many ways. I had a dislocated elbow at one time. You know, I, I lost a tooth. Um, I had hypothermia. I had third degree burns. You know, I, I just got beat to the core while I was there, but it was through prayers and unshakable faith and, you know, continued support from all the people who supported the Two-Spirit Nation, who supported water protectors, who supported the work that I did that, you know, protected us and kept us going. But, you know, from that, I definitely have seen that when we organize and when we come together, we definitely put that fear back into those oppressors because that's one thing we have is we can organize 
in vast numbers that they never seen before, especially water protectors, especially tribal nations. And so that's what I'm continuing to do that work today and forward is to, you know, activate and elevate the voices of other indigenous leaders. And I think one of the most powerful, beautiful things was that it was surrounded by prayer the whole time. There was prayer every day, pretty much all day. Uh, and that in itself, I felt was like, wow, adding, adding prayer to activism and honoring the land and all of this is, is making it even more impactful for everyone in attendance. And I think even the guys on the other side, you know, um, and I, I really appreciated that there were so many tribes together, that there were all of these different tribes. And for some reason, I've always have buddies and neighbors of the Taino tribe. So lacrosse, <laughs> I want to bring you into the conversation. I want to invite you to ask or say anything. Um, but I really honor and, and, and respect all tribes, regardless of what tribe you're from. And I know that they've all been trying to be erased. Um, honestly, the only question I would ask is, is like, like, like so many of us that we, our culture has just been ripped. It's been ripped. It's been taken away. And it's literally baby steps of just trying to regain some of that back. Um, like, what do you recommend? Like, if you tell these other tribes that have lost so much, what do you, what, do, what are outlets that we can use to start to regain some of that back? Okay. So I always had a lot of people coming to our two spirit nation camp who had said, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable identifying as two spirit because I'm not tribally enrolled or they would say, you know, I lost contact with my tribal nation or they would say, you know, our, our tribe was terminated. You know, there's just the different, very, you know, traumatic deficits that kept folks from embracing their culture or their spiritual identities. And that is the intention of genocide. That is the mm -hmm. intention of kill the end and save the man. You know, that is their intent and has been to colonize. That's what it means to colonize, you know? And so that's why I worked really hard to decolonize ceremonies while we were there. Cause a lot of people were like, men sit here and women sit here, or this is the men's role. And this is the women's role. There's nowhere for two spirits to be, you know? And so a lot of times I really had to speak up and that's why, you know, even before I started my journey to standing rock, just initiate the two spirit nation camp. I, I did a flesh offering, which is a very sacred ceremony. And I knew for me, the biggest oppressor would be toxic masculinity. Mm. I knew that, you know, even my own tribal nations and relatives would continue to carry that homophobia and that transphobia and that continued learned behavior from the oppressor. So I had folks come through and I would tell them, you know, you, you know, I would tell them literally put your hand on your heart and feel that heartbeat. You know, you're carrying your ancestors' blood it's pumping through your veins right now. You know, that came from your grandparents, that came from their grandparents. You're literally carrying ancestral DNA. No one can take that away from you. 
you know, even if they took your land base, even if they took your federal identity, and that's the intent for blood quantum. The, you know, the smaller our blood quantum, you know, in our children and grandchildren becomes, the less our tribal numbers are going to be. That is the intent with tribal enrollment. And so no one can take that from you. And so I would encourage people, you know, because I had said, I want each and every one of us to go home and fill our communities with visibility of who we are and what we represent, whether it's two-spirit or just being indigenous or just being an ally or even, you know, wanting to break down those barriers and smash patriarchy and call out colonizer behavior. So, you know, I would tell them, you know, go up on Facebook Hill. <laughs> if you have to go on YouTube and learn a song in your tribal nation or, you know, whatever that is, I want you to learn a song so you can carry that song with you. I want you to learn a word or a few words in your language, you know, even just to be able to pray and learn how to talk to creator and, you know, to make that connection because your cultural and spiritual identity is between you and the creator. No one else can alter that. You know, just like your heartbeat is pumping, your ancestors are pumping through your body. They're walking with you. And that's all up to you how you want to honor that. You know, mm -hmm. do you want to honor these colonizers who oppressed and and created genocidal attack on you and your family? Or are you going to hold on to what walks with you every day and who you are made of and what you are? So, you know, I had so many two-spirit people say, I still sing those songs. You know, I've learned 10 more songs since then, you know, and I don't know who or what, you know, said you can't learn these songs from YouTube or on the internet or, you know, because someone was intentional about passing it down or passing it forward. And so, um, you know, wh whatever that is, I want to encourage folks to fight back because that is how you get to fight back. You have the ability to maintain and retain your ancestors' prayers and love and intent for you. Right. Thank you. That's that's very powerful. That's very powerful because it it does it, it gets discouraging sometimes because like sometimes you don't even know where to begin cuz lost is there's been so much that's been lost and it's just like I said you're talking 500 years of you know, we got hit pretty hard and it's it's just really hard to see and so many don't even know and i think that's the hardest part is knowing that so many people that are from the caribbean have no idea that they have indigenous blood they have they are completely void of any knowledge and that's that's scary so yeah but i really appreciate that i really appreciate that thank you yes definitely <laughs> And I, I personally think uh, I like to give as much space for that as possible. And I like to, I love to give away my white privilege. Um, it's one of my <laughs> favorite things to do. It helps me feel less white because there is a little bit of which was talked about at Standing Rock a little bit, which is shame, white shame, where we actually feel ashamed of our ancestors like, I can't believe they enslaved uh, people of color. I can't believe they took the, like, I don't want to believe it, but I know it happened. I know it's true. And it's enough to, that we as white people also can internalize shame. And so I think one of my ways of trying to, you know, say, gosh, 
whether my ancestors were sorry or not, I'm sorry for my ancestors because clearly I'm white. You know, my skin's white. I don't know anything about my, my DNA. I haven't gotten it tested or anything. But I know that for me, that's my way. And so if you're a white person out there and you're watching the show and you're like, I want to do something, if nothing else, just get on and, and watch the, read the news, educate yourself and know what's going on and tell other white people, tell them. So especially the ones that you think are going to want to help that the ones that are open, you know, and like here I am part of the WLFE DB network, which probably has a lot of white people on it, but here's our, here's our producer, Ted, and he's saying WLFE DB wants to help. Let's figure out how we can help. And that's, beautiful, right? That's how mm -hmm. we start a domino effect of trying to right. change this because I'm not happy with it. It doesn't sit well in my gut. It doesn't make my soul feel good about my ancestors. I don't even want to know. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and I think, I think it's our way of trying to step forward and try to, I know we can't make it better. I know we don't fully understand, um, but we can try to do something, even if it is like Candy said, to just take it home and to yeah. tell your aunt or whatever. And I love to encourage uh, lacrosse here to bring his uh, Taino stuff to the stage. And I think next week, that's what we're doing. We're bringing, uh, I think, yes. the chief, right? Yeah, yeah well, cacique. The we're bringing the cacique and the vehicle of, of of the tribe here and here that we have established here. So, yeah, that's going to be exciting. He's going to have a lot to share. <laughs> and that, in my opinion, is beautiful. And that's what you can do, my white friends out there that are seeing this and moved and your heart is busting open. I know that feeling. I know that feeling where you're like, oh, what am I going to do with this? That's what you can do. And I also know that almost always when Candy is protesting, somebody has to get bailed out of jail. Um, <laughs> Definitely. And I'm like, uh, okay, where are we sending money this week? Where are we sending money? <laughs> and so, because I think making that available, Candy, is important because you know, if, if we all throw in 10 bucks, so-and-so right. is going to get bailed out and they don't have to dip into their money. And, um, you know, some people might have more than that. Some people can give. And so making that easy uh, is also a great way, I would say. And I'm always willing to help any indigenous tribe make it easy to collect money online for free. I won't charge you for my services at all. So I just want to say that. So anytime anyone is doing that, any kind of movement and you need money, I can help you set it up. So well, I definitely do have an ask um, because, you know, go for it. Pride Month is coming up and the Two-Spirit Nation is going to be having our first youth camp. And, you know, I'm, I'm working with a Two-Spirit, a couple Two-Spirit youth artists. So we're going to have, you know, because that's part of the component of being a Two-Spirit is like I said, embracing our culture and our spirituality. So we're going to have art lessons, 
each day and this, it's going to be virtual. And then we also have two spirit water protectors who are going to tell their story. So each day we have a different person. And so we can try to start working and, and mentoring, but we're needing um, supplies. You know, we're, I, I've gotten a couple mini grants to pay for these honorariums for the speakers and to set up, you know, the, the workshops that we need to have, but, you know, we're trying, now we have to fundraise to get the sewing machines and the beads and the porcupine quills and all the different things that we need for each of the five projects each day. And so this is our pilot project because we're going to do it online. And then next year, it's going to be more of like a coming of age ceremony. And we're getting the week in itself, you know, specifically for two spirit people, we're going to be having it here in South Dakota. It's going to be near one of our sacred ceremony sites. Um, but so this year, we just, you know, want to have our very first Youth Two-Spirit Nation camp. And it's a week long. It's going to be like the third week in June. But I, you know, I would like for folks to um, donate to our website. We have a donate button and our website is www.thetwospiritnation.org. Okay. I think that's the one we have going up. Yep. Thetwospiritnation.org. Yeah. Great. Yes. So that's the one we've been showing all night. So hopefully uh, people can make any kind of contributions there. Please make a donation. Five bucks goes. If everybody right. donates five bucks, that's 50 bucks. If 10 people, you know, give. Right. So give what you got. And I think it's beautiful, the work that you're doing, Candy. I think it's precious and worth celebrating and worth talking about. And Absolutely. I, I wish... And if you have anything, um, anything that the WLFE DB, if you have like a little video or if I can make you a video about making those donations, I'm sure Ted uh, would be happy to play it on our channels to get a little bit more people to see it for you. Okay, um, if you and I know, I know, yeah, we could get a little commercial video going and, and that could be a lot of, uh, that could be great fun. So uh, we all play commercials on all of our shows and yeah. uh, the, the network's pretty full. Lacrosse here has a, has an amazing show. Lacrosse does a show about uh, LGBTQ people sharing their story. So that's also beautiful. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I love stories. I think that's just a, a storytelling is my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. So, um, and I like to celebrate it. So we just have a few minutes left. And if anyone in the audience has any questions, please bring it up. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull from my love is love tarot card deck. And it is an LGBT collaborative deck that has every single picture every single card was made by a different lgbtq artist um and the beautiful thing is there are people of color and indigenous people also represented in this deck which i'm like whoa we finally did it we included everybody <laughs> <laughs> um so here we are i'm gonna pull three cards for the whole group for everybody that's here watching now and everybody that will be watching um interestingly the Knight of Wands is all about thoughts, people. So the BLM movement, the indigenous movement, Standing Rock, everything that's been happening to us 
as a culture, as a people of this, like, you know, of this land, all of us here, whether you chose to be here or not, those thoughts that have been coming through, it's important. Take them forward. The beliefs, the things we've been challenging about like white supremacy and, uh, and, and, all of the different movements that have been going on. Take those thoughts forward because right now, right now is the time to change. And that's what this is. This is like a protest card and it's, it's the five of wands. And if you look closely, it says silence equals death mm. there. And I think this, this, definitely portrays the protest experience that's happening right now. And you can be part of the protest too. You, you know, even if you can't be on the front lines, like candy is, you can be part of the protest just simply by saying, Hey, I'm not sure Thanksgiving is what we thought it was. And, you know, and yes, trying to see it a little different or, you know, I mean, I call it forgiving because I try to mm. forgive my ancestors for their, stupidness. So that's what I do. Um, but you know, but everybody has their own way. And so I just want to encourage you to find your own way to protest, whatever that looks like for you and know in the future that there is healing coming to the heart. There is healing coming to the heart and to celebrate what the healing is and what healing is happening to all of us now and in the future be ready, my friends, because it's happening. And that's what this card is all about. It's happening right now. We are in the time of Aquarius. This is supposed to be happening. And as we rebuild in the coming, in the coming year to next couple of years, we are going to find that we are going to want to include important things like restoring indigenous culture, allowing indigenous, giving the space and whatever we have to do to help us all live in harmony because that is possible, but we just have to bring it forward. That's what our job is. That's why we're here. That's why we're all alive. And that's why you're alive right now during this time. And that's why you're witnessing this show. And that's why you're here. So I hope you awaken to whatever your activism is, whatever your activism is in your home, whatever you need to do to make you feel more connected to your divine self, whatever that might look like for you. And I want to honor all indigenous tribes everywhere. And like lacrosse always says, we're all indigenous to someplace. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate that because my ancestors are probably from Europe or something. Um, and so I, I, you know, recognize that too. And I appreciate that lacrosse because that's your wisdom uh, mm. sinking into me where I can say, well, you know, even the Irish pagans were dismissed by the Christianity. They were told the, you know, the ancient cultures, the Celts and things were, were uh, dismissed out of their land mm. in Ireland and Europe and told that they couldn't practice their religion as well. So it's interesting uh, when you said that lacrosse, cause it really made me think of that. So I want to thank you for that wisdom. So, and thank you candy for being on the show today, for taking time out of mother's day to do this work and all of the work you do for the beautiful indigenous women 
that are being murdered and raped. Like my heart just goes out. Like I just, I wish there was something I could do personally. Um, and thank you for all the work you do, yes. including Mount Rushmore and Standing Rock. All of those are important. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. That's the whole idea. <laughs> we like to have a good time here. <laughs> so, and I appreciate you, Lacrosse. Thanks for being uh, being here and helping me hold space for this very special opportunity. No, and it was nice. I learned forward. a lot. I really learned a lot, and it's and realizing, you know, we we still are very colonized in our mentality. And it's, it's something like she mentioned earlier about calling ourselves native American. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. That hit home. That hit home because that's, you know, it's easy to, it is a colonized mentality and it's so hard to get out of. It's not impossible, but it's, it's hard. And every day it's this constant journey and fight to, to regain something back. So I just want to thank you even with something like that just was awakening and I just really appreciate you for telling me, you know, I needed to hear that. And I just genuinely appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your support as well. <laughs> Definitely representing your, your ancestral background and your ancestors themselves. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you tune in next Sunday for our, our discussion with the Taino chief. And yeah. I look forward to that. I look forward to that next <laughs> Sunday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for coming, and thank you for watching. Please share <laughs> and follow and comment. It helps us all. And yep. make some donations to Candy. Yep. I want to see those Two-Spirit Youth celebrated this year. All yes. right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Have a good night, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for watching Rainbow Soul, a queer perspective on spirituality beyond religion. We appreciate you sharing the show on your timeline, follow us on social media of your choice, and join our Facebook group, Rainbow Soul. We want to hear from you. Share your topic ideas for Hollis and Lacrosse. Explore upcoming shows and interesting guests. The Rainbow Soul Facebook group, where we build community of questioning seekers. Rainbow Soul, where spirituality is our medicine.